Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. That was so uninspiring, but um, that's okay. I'm going to give you the same level of inspiration now for the rest of the morning. That's my, my payback to you. It's just, no, not really. It's lovely to be here. It's lovely to see lots of familiar faces and friends and, and people I haven't met yet, but I really I have warm, fuzzy feelings in my heart when I drive the long way from Wyoming to uh, Long Jetty to, to hang out with you guys. So um, this morning I am continuing this series that you started on idols. And uh, don't we all just love chatting about idols? Like, how often in your life do you just, you know, turn to someone and say, hey, what are you idolizing at the moment? You know, tell me, tell me a little bit about your current idolatry of choice. Um, it's not really something I talk about much, probably not something you talk about much, but uh, it is what Benj gave me. So this morning, talk about it, we shall. Um, you, I'm guessing, I did listen to half of Benj's sermon last week. I didn't finish it, sorry, Benj, but the first half was good. It wasn't, you know, no offense, it wasn't like I... Turned it off because I hated it. I just arrived where I was driving. Um, but in that, I believe Benj did use uh, a, a Tim Keller sort of uh, definition of idolatry, which I've found helpful over the years, which is the idols are good things that have kind of become ultimate things. And, you know, for most of us, our idols aren't like, uh, you know, little totems or shrines that we have set up, which we might think of when we think about that word, but actually it's the things in our life that can be wonderful, you know, career, family, uh, the idea of progress is what, what Ben was talking about. These things that can be really good things, but they can become like the, the top of the mountain for us. Amazing. I'm, thank you. Um, so, you know, another way of thinking about idols is just misordered loves, the loves of our lives kind of uh, falling into the wrong ordering um, so that things can kind of get a little bit distorted. And today, I get to talk about the idol of self and just the idea, I guess, that uh, the culture that we live in and, and just maybe part of being human is that we can put the idea of self at the centre of things um, and uh, maybe it's not the greatest idea. Um, there's this, this story in ancient Greek mythology about a nymph who uh, found no one that he loved. And so he ended up uh, looking in the water at his reflection. And he fell in love with himself. And he just looked at his reflection until he eventually died. And I believe turned into a flower, which is a nice end to the story. Um, anyone know this guy's name or heard this story before? Narcissus. Narcissus. Which is where we get our word <clears throat> narcissist or narcissism. Now, I actually did some uh, research yesterday. I'm sorry I don't have a slide to show you, but you'll have to believe me. I looked at the Google trends on the word narcissist. And over the last few years, you can see, like, the spike in people doing Google searches related to narcissists and narcissism. It might be a word that you've heard in increasing amounts um, in your life, potentially. Um, it is, uh, you know, something that perhaps we see a little bit more... Um, culturally, as we look around, you know, we might think about your Donald Trumps or your Kanye Wests or your Mark Driscolls. 
Um, we have these kind of examples of narcissistic leaders or narcissistic rappers or, you know, narcissistic presidents. I mean, just, they show up all over the place. Um, and, you know, often uh, people talk about uh, narcissistic personality disorder, which is a, a clinically, you know, diagnosed condition, which uh, the experts reckon around 5% of people um, have NPD. Um, so you might think, well... I'm probably part of the 95%. I mean, if you're part of the 5%, you definitely think you're part of the 95%. Um, so you're probably thinking, who cares, you know? Um, but narcissistic tendencies and narcissism are actually something that we all have to grapple with. And so there's this line between uh, a clinically diagnosed disorder, which I want to just acknowledge that if, if you've experienced people in your life that have NPD, that can be a hugely difficult thing. And, um, you know, I just want to just acknowledge anyone in the room that has lived with or lives with that. Um, but I want to broaden it out this morning and talk about this because I think that narcissism and narcissistic tendencies are probably the closest language that we have in our kind of modern vernacular for talking about the idolatry of self. There's this guy named Chuck DeGrote who wrote a book called When Narcissism Comes to Church. And he says, it's not enough to look at narcissism through the lens of an egotistical political figure or an emotionally abusive spouse, an arrogant CEO or a powerful religious figure, we swim in the cultural waters of narcissism and churches are not immune. Western culture is a narcissistic culture. Chuck DeGroat, bringing the goods. Ouch. What does he, what does he mean by this? Uh, he goes on to give this definition of what narcissism uh, looks like. He says, it is a refusal to live within God-ordained limitations of creaturely existence. He says, paradoxically, our desire to be superhuman dehumanizes us, wreaking havoc on our relationships. Yes, narcissism makes us less human. When I read that quote, I immediately thought you know, about this story in the, in the first kind of pages of the Bible of the Tower of Babel, this story of uh, human delusions of grandeur, thinking that we could become the gods, that we could build a tower to the heavens. Um, and, and maybe none of us in this room have tried to build a tower to the heavens any time recently, but how often do we try to push beyond our limitations? How often do we try to kind of live a life that actually defies what it means to be human? Uh, whether it's trying to cram in every possible experience we can have, I'm probably guilty of that one, like I'm, you know, FOMO, like I just want to live every single moment of life to the fullest. Uh, whether it's being unable to step away from our work, you know, thinking that we just need to keep working because we're super important or our work is super important, um, you know, or whether it's trying to just constantly move up a tier in terms of our, like, bracket of living, right? It's such a, a Western thing. I think Sienna spoke about, you know, the Australian or the Western sort of dream, um, you know, just this idea that, like, the goal of life just becomes I just got to try and get the next promotion or I got to try and get the next house or the next car, all of these things, whether it's experiences or, or whether it's, um, you know, our work or whether it's our lifestyle, these can easily become things that put us at the centre of the story. And I think how much of the time is our thinking just kind of subconsciously because of the waters we swim in geared towards like more and bigger and better and just trying to grow our own little empire. 
maybe at times each of our lives can look like a little tower of Babel building projects. Now, I think humans have always struggled with this stuff. I think it's um, part of what it means to, to be human. Um, but I also think there are some unique challenges that we have to deal with today that may accelerate some of our narcissistic tendencies. Um, you know, if we want to defy our limitations, technology enables us to do that more than any time in history ever before us. I mean, the, the light bulb, you know, just the innocent little light bulb making us stay awake longer, thinking we can cram more into our lives, but then you fast forward to being kind of connected to the internet 24-7. Um, it's so easy to try and live against the grain of being a, a creature with limitations. Um, but then you add into that, you know, we also live in like the age of the everyday influencer and this idea that through social media, uh, we live in a time when it's kind of just normal to think that every single person has a life that is worth broadcasting. And not just that it's worth broadcasting, it's almost like you need to broadcast your life. Like there's something wrong with you if you're not showing up on the socials and letting everyone know, you know, where you're holidaying and, and, and what you ate last night and, you know, all of this stuff that, um, and, and more than that, it's, it's the broadcasting of our opinions. Like everyone's some sort of expert. Everyone's got something worth saying. Uh, everyone kind of deserves an audience. This is kind of part of the waters that we swim in. And then we can become addicted. And I'm, I'm very much a participant in this. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody else. But like, you know, just the sense that what I post then gives me this sweet little hit of likes or reacts or follows, which become this sense of like, yeah, I am important. Or I feel crushed because I don't feel like I got enough attention for that. So we fall into this cycle that really does breed these narcissistic tendencies in us. And part of that whole thing, particularly the world of, of tech and social media that we live in today, is it's easy for there to be this rupture between the actual self and the curated self. And so much of our self-obsession can become around, like, am I presenting myself to the world in the right way? Is my LinkedIn profile up to date? You know, is my Instagram got a colour scheme going on? And it doesn't, and it stresses me out. Um, <laughs> You know what I mean? This is just part of, like, stuff that is in the background of our minds these days. So technology can enable our narcissistic tendencies, but if we drop a layer down, I think we actually have some, some pretty deeply ingrained cultural messaging that sits below that. You know, we live in an individualistic culture that majors on self-empowerment. And that can be a really positive thing. You know, I'm not here to disempower any selves in the room, um, in the right context, the following phrases that I'm about to read may be exactly what you need to hear. And, and this is the hard thing with basically anything, right? You know, I believe that uh, the goal of being Christian partly is to grow in wisdom and there are no blanket rules. So everything I'm about to read to the right person at the right time could be exactly the right thing to say. But you also think about what kind of soil, you know, we, we kind of create for some of the, the less desirable stuff. You know, we have these messages about you. You can do anything you set your mind to. You can be anything you want. You have everything within you that you need to succeed. Uh, you can overcome anything. Uh, and then you kind of get into this territory of, like, the universe. You know, the universe is looking out for you. Uh, you can manifest your destiny. Which, as a quick side note, whenever people talk about the universe or manifesting... I just feel like they're just talking about Pentecostal Christianity just without using any church language. It's just another, like, prosperity gospel of, you know, 
the slot machine of the universe. But all those things, they're very common messages, right? Anybody ever told you any of those things? Or have you ever told yourself, you know, you can, you can do it, you can be it? Um, now, let's just stop again for a moment and acknowledge what is good about these ideas. Um, humans actually are amazing. Like, the very first chapter of the Bible, like, you've got to start the story where it starts, and it starts with how humans are very good. It's like the best part of creation. Everything else is good. God creates humans. Very good. So, that's biblical. I just want to affirm, affirm that. Um, and if you guys hear about this guy, Ned Brockman, who just ran across Australia, what the heck? I just found out about this the other day. If you didn't hear about it, this guy, Ned Brockman, just an ordinary dude, not a runner, he just ran across Australia, 4,000 kilometres in roughly 40 days. Just think about that for a moment. He raised almost $2 million for homeless people. Just amazing. Like, that's what humans can do. Um, I get to work with a lot of young people who have grown up in DV households, who have survived homelessness, who have survived gender dysphoria, who have lived through, you know, substance abuse issues, uh, very dark nights of the soul, you know, a lot of stuff. If they want to tell me about their inner strength, I am only going to cheer them on, right? Like, if you want to come and tell me about some of the things you have overcome like that, then yes, you are amazing. Human beings are actually incredible. We do often underestimate our inner resources, our our resilience, our capacity, our voice. These are God-given gifts. I do want to help people tap into their inner tuition and to draw on their strength and to have a crack at whatever is in their heart. But let's just have a quick look at some of the ways that these kind of messages can break down. Uh, First, they're super ableist. I have other friends who just have to live with a limp, whether that's their physical or mental health. I have a friend who who has about an hour of energy a day um, and that's just life and it has been for years and it probably will be for years um, due to to her kind of uh, health. Um, You know, all of those cultural messages might sound pretty empty to someone whose life is is kind of forced into a reduced capacity. Um, You know, these sort of messages about how good we all are and what we can all achieve don't really make sense of our suffering and our grief and the confusing, bloody mess of being human. And that can just lead to more kind of cycles of, like, spiralling self-doubt and shame when people are, I'm I'm doing the things and it's not working and it all seems like it's just kind of falling apart. Um, And and all of these messages, they they de-emphasise the role of community and relationships, and trust, you know, trusting God and trusting others in actually becoming fully who, who we are and who we can be. And when it comes to a lot of, I guess, the cultural messaging about the self, often what is framed as confidence is built on insecurity, and often what is framed as liberating can actually be crushing. And if you just approach your social media feed with those two things in mind, how much confidence here is built on insecurity and how much of what is being presented to me as liberating is actually just putting another crushing set of expectations on myself. Again, trying to live beyond our limitations. The worship of, the obsession with, the idolatry of self is often a sign of deep inner insecurity trying to actually prove that we are worthwhile or trying to prove that actually I do have something to show because maybe I'm scared that I'm unlovable or I'm not worthwhile or I don't actually have what it takes to make it. Thankfully, um, you know, 
being Christian or rocking up to church should just deal with all of this, right? Uh, (laughs) Sadly, no. Uh, So often I feel like there is just a big Christian kind of industry that is just basically taking that same self-help program and just sprinkling a little bit of Jesus on top. But even our Christianity can just become another project to kind of perfect myself or another way to manifest the best version of myself. Um, You know, we've been discipled just as much by Western culture, if not more, than than the church or or Christianity. And if we're not careful, we can just baptise our self-idolatry in really sloppy theology. Well, should we leave it there? What, what can we actually do about this? Uh, how, do we, how do we, like, decenter ourselves in, in healthy ways? Um, in a cultural context of narcissistic kind of tendencies where self-worship and self-idolatry is sort of the norm, um, to be healthy human beings, to live into the, the genuine, full humanity that God has for us, I think we need to be, like, ruthlessly intentional about right-sizing our view of ourselves. Now, like most things, uh, when it comes to the self, we can kind of make parallel mistakes at either end of the spectrum. One mistake is to idolise the self. The other mistake is to demonise the self. And I could hear, you know, as I was writing this sermon, I was like, it'd be so easy to preach a sermon against self-idolatry that just makes people feel ashamed of themselves, just makes people feel like I need to, um, you know, kind of lay myself down in a way that's actually not... um, not helpful to anyone around us, just to kind of become a bit of a victim. Um, You know, we can self-worship or we can self-loathe so easily. And often those can be kind of intertwined in some funny ways. Um, So I want to be clear that the way to deal with our our tendency towards uh, self-idolization is not to shame or or belittle who you are. That's That's not the path out of it. Uh, I'm not telling you to stop engaging in self-care or self-love. You know, those are good things. Our, our great commandment is to love our neighbour as ourself, obviously to love God and to love our neighbour as ourself. And so we, we have to kind of pra- practice self-love if we're going to love our neighbour. I've been talking to Leo, who is four years old. He's kind of like, you know, we talk about the image of like our love tank. I try and tell him like the love tank doesn't run out because he's just started to like use love in manipulative ways where he's like, Dad, I'm going to love you a little bit more if you do this. Or if you do that, I'm going to love Mum a little bit more than you. I'm going to give some of my love away. And I'm like, listen, Leo, the love tank for yourself and for others doesn't have to run out. It's actually unlimited. But it's about having both of those, right? Love ourselves and our neighbours in equal capacity. So we've got to right-size our view of ourself. That's what I reckon we need to do. And when I say that, I'm talking about a hybrid of, of, of a humble, confident love in who we are with a brutally honest appraisal of our limitations and who we aren't. I want to read to you some really encouraging and inspirational Bible verses right now. These are up there with that, you know, I know the plans I have for you situation. Ecclesiastes 2.11. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. That's some encouraging stuff right there. Psalm 39, verse 5. You have made my days a mere hand breadth. 
The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Put that on your phone background <laughs> this week. Um, these seem super depressing at first, but I actually think these are really beautifully liberating uh, scriptures to reflect on. All of your hustling, all of your stressing, all of your unrealized career ambitions or all of the things that you're pushing towards that you haven't reached yet that may feel impossible, they are but a breath. You are but a breath. A uh, hundred years from now, like, no one's going to remember any of us in this room probably. <laughs> Super depressing. Um, you know, maybe a few of us. Uh, you, maybe hopefully your, your grandkids will have some, you know, some book somewhere that has your family tree in it and, and your name in there somewhere. Um, but actually, like, to be small, to be human, to be like a fingernail on, on the, the timeline is, is a really freeing thing because you can stop trying so hard and you can stop feeling so disappointed about these things that feel enormous. But in the grand scheme of things, actually, you get to be here, you get to participate in the divine dance of, of being human and, and being created and being part of the beloved community. Um, you know, I think healthy Christian self-esteem can be found in this concept that theologians call the imago Dei. It means to be made in the image of God. And, and all humans, the person you like the least, is made in the image of God, bears the imago Dei. You bear the imago Dei. And it's kind of this robust concept that I am made in the image of God no more or no less than any other. And this is true for the person I struggle the most to love. Um, this whole topic is one of those weird ones, right, where you could accidentally end up sort of obsessing over yourself to work out whether you're participating in self-idolatry. I just need to just look inwards a little bit more and work out whether or not I'm thinking about myself too much. But there is a big difference between self-awareness and self-absorption. And I fundamentally believe if we're going to be healthy humans, if we're going to be you know, followers of Jesus, if we're going to be people of love, we really need to have practices that grow our self-awareness, uh, which generally I would say any form of contemplative spirituality, one of the gifts of the Christian tradition any form of contemplative spirituality is a, is a way of becoming self-aware in the presence of uh, the holy. So um, I know Benj talks for a bit about the examine, things like that, but give that a go if you haven't, or maybe try some form of, of stillness or centering prayer. There's lots of good stuff out there. Uh, I think on Greenhouse Church's website there is a link to that examine prayer if you haven't given it a go, but I would encourage you Take up some form of contemplative practice to build your self-awareness. Um, and here's another great little kind of practice that I, I would recommend. Um, there, there's a guy named Dr. Henry Cloud who wrote a book, named, a book called Integrity. Uh, John Gould is a big fan of Dr. Henry Cloud. Um, in that book, uh, he uses this image, which I actually return to fairly often. He uses this image of a boat and the wake behind the boat. He says that the way that people kind of move through life is like a boat traveling through the water and the, the wake behind a boat has two sides. And he's like, one side of the wake is the achievements, the things we get done, you know, our kind of productivity. 
And the other side of the wake is the way that people experience us. And some people can be highly productive while leaving a wake of, like, dead bodies behind them. And some people love to talk but don't really seem to be <laughs> leaving anything, anything, nothing's getting done. Um, but but he, he kind of gives this image as a tool for self-reflection where it's like, don't just think about the boat. Don't just think about yourself. Think about what do you leave behind you in terms of the experience that people have of you. You know, if you look at your life and you reflect upon it, like, actually... What are you leaving behind you in terms of the things you are doing in the world, the things you are growing and creating and building? But also, you know, what, what's it feel like when you've just come through a room? What's it like for people when they've been in your presence? Um, I reckon that is a super helpful image, you know, to try and return to. Like, you know, write a note, like, this afternoon. Uh, have a think about the wake. And maybe try and build that into a regular practice and create this space of going, how, how does the self that is me interconnect with the families and, and workplaces and systems that I'm a part of? And, and how can I then make adjustments thinking not just about the self, but the self in relation to this web that, that I am a part of? This guy once said something along the lines of, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you give your life away you will find it. Do you know who said that? Yes, it was Jesus. I kind of hoped and anticipated that everyone would have a rough idea. Um, So if you're trying to follow this guy, the idea of giving your life away for the sake of others uh, is a very real thing, while loving your your neighbour as you love yourself. Um, So to to kind of summarise... I think we need to right-size our view of ourselves regularly. Maybe sometimes we need to top it up a bit with a bit of that concept of the Imago Dei. Actually, I am made in the image of God as much as anybody else. But also maybe just sprinkle in some Ecclesiastes in there. The work of your hands is just nothing, all right? All you're toiling away is meaningless. (laughs) Uh, You give yourself a pep talk along those lines sometimes, right? It's not such a big deal, actually. I'm limited. I'm human. I'm going to be here for a second, that's okay. Um, respect those limitations. Become self-aware, not self-obsessed, and, and reflect on, on you in relation to the webs and networks and, you know, community that you are a part of. What, what do people experience as you move through those spaces? Um, I want to I wrap up with a little poem that I wrote. Super narcissistic thing to do, right? Um, <laughs> But it's actually a poem I wrote about um, this sort of unexpected gift of having the last name small. Um, so you do not have that last name. So I've got like a, a little bit of an advantage here in terms of, you know, being humbled by my name. Um, but hopefully there's some things in here you can relate to and maybe take from here as you continue to seek to live a life that is um, putting your loves in the right order. In this world of bigger, better, brighter, 5,000 advertisements a day, you can do it, you can be it, anything you set your mind to, anything you have the drive to, a million different ways to make it, but you better make it. You better carve out David, compose a ninth symphony, produce a viral iPhone video, sell a bunch of plastic. I've wrestled with ambition, a cage fighter, 
trying to suppress any part of me which would settle, any part of me that would choose anything less than greatness. I've yelled, you're too complacent, you're too lazy, and you're wasting your potential. I have yelled at myself to make a name. Not enough followers, not enough fans, not enough online hits, not enough demand. I emulate movie montages where I am my own punching bag. I run up and down the steps of my soul. I scribble long manuscripts up and down my body. I pen lines of shame. I sing songs of blame. I yell at myself to make a name. And yet, somewhere along the way, I realized I already have one. And it is one of the most unassuming gifts I've been given. The name I have been handed, branded, stamped with, small. I am small. It is tattooed to my identity. It is grafted to my legacy. It is something I cannot escape. I am small. And you are too, regardless of your last name. It is fresh oxygen to admit it. It is tap out, white flag, lay down and be okay with it. I've seen enough people burn their match down to ash burn others in the wake of their brief flame, all in the pursuit of a name. I have one. I will own it. I will grow into it. I will tell myself, no matter how big I may think I am, I am small. And you are too, and that is okay. Bless you, my friends. (laughs) 